been on my phone. Um, so I wrote a spoken word I want to share before I go into my teaching. And the spoken word is called brushstroke. And I've been, this spoken word has been in the process for about six months, okay? It's been brewing, it's been cooking, it's been simmering. So it's well done, it's ready. <laughs> and when I, when I wrote this um, spoken word, it just came from a place of my own vulnerability and insecurities and what God is doing inside of me and what he has been doing inside of me. Bristles hitting against the canvas, paint and brushstroke, brushstroke and paint, colors, Lots of colors is this display that is me. Every stroke unique and intentional by the hand of the artist, there is a greater picture in the heart of the painter, painting every line, every detail with care and thought. And he strokes his paintbrush as though he can see the vivid reality of the finished artistry. Mm -hmm. Yet I wait, anxiously wait, as the details of his blending, fan brush sweeping techniques are dancing on the canvas of my life. The paint still wet, every fiber and grain swept with stroke, still drying like oil stains, still bleeding like water paints. This art of changing motion and emotion, the complexity that is me. I am the art piece of the divine, his masterpiece. Yet, he's still refining the hard edges of colors the storm like turpentine to temper the stiff pace, diluting pigments with the story of my pain. Like a dry brush dragging its thorny whiskers on the surface of my skin, pain creating art, refining me. He is defining me. Mm. I wiggle with apprehension, standing back, tilting my head, the nail biting tension, squinting my eyes, trying to understand his methods, but I can't, which raises questions. My questions, though internal, war within my brain. These battles and questions driving me insane, questioning not me, but his ways, which in turn questions his goodness, and I'm baffled that he's patient, ever patient, still working on me. Masterpiece? Feeling more like a spectator as the creator paints, I wait to see if the finished piece can cover galleries, or if he'll step back and see the many flaws and mistakes and think, what a mess I've made. And I'm afraid, afraid that he'll stop painting, push me to the side and that I'll be shelved in the quietness and the undoing of myself. But he continues to see what I can be. And he paints. Still feeling very incomplete, vulnerable, more like a kish than a Monet, bombarded with the lies that I lack the beauty of fine artistry, though the painter is renowned. And he makes not a sound and he continues to paint. Dripping his brush in bright hues of blues and scarlet, pushing paint on canvas and covering mistakes like grace, he paints with grace. And though galleries are filled with his mastery, and galaxies are filled with the brilliance of his majesty, I question the motives of his strokes. Speaking as though his brush strokes tell a lie, dare I question the divine? Dare I refute the unique strokes that are the makeup of my design? Mm -hmm. He knows that every drip and blotch are strategic to his technique. He knows that what looks unfinished will soon be complete. He knows that I don't understand. He knows his art piece will display a greater picture of a grander plan. And I step back to see with a bird's eye view like a panorama. It's my life on display. Every victory, Every error, every tear, and every pain, every iota of the development of me, the implied lines that make up my, t my time begin to bleed from the chaos. Yet the montage of my life, like a landscape to the display of Jesus, my life, the medium he used to point others to the cross. He took what looked messy and utterly lost and he painted over my mistakes with a bloody cross. Purchased, blood-bought, his workmanship on display. He paints, renewing the broken pieces and making them beautiful. Like a pentimental, hidden beneath the layers of paint are traces of the old me. Yet the strokes of his divine love 
have renewed and refined me. With great joy and affection, he displays me among his grand collection, hanging on the gallery of his heart. For I am the workpiece, the art piece of the divine, a beautiful work of art. So when I wrote that poem, When I wrote that spoken word, brushstroke, this picture came to mind. My life represented an art canvas, right? And God was the painter. In my eyes, I don't necessarily see a work of art. I often see the many messes that I've made with my life. The many times that God told me to do something and I didn't obey him. I see the accumulations of my failures, yet God comes in and begins to make me beautiful, to make you beautiful with every brush stroke. God puts us through a process of restoring, renewing, and beautification. I want to take you through the process in this workshop that I've titled Workmanship, a Divine Masterpiece. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you say we are. You define us through your word, through your finished work on the cross, God, we are yours. And we have been created, God, for good works. Help us to believe them and walk in them and to walk with confidence that you're with us, that you never leave us, that you don't forsake us, and that we all have a role to play in a bigger, bigger plan. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I went to go see an eye doctor, and I've been having um, a lot of problems with my vision. That's what happens when you turn 40. <laughs> what you get, 50? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to need a miracle. No, <laughs> they put this machine over my eyes, and, and I, I mean, if you've seen an eye doctor, a lot of you guys wear glasses. Um, it's like a binocular type of thing, and they start to switch the lenses to kind of give you a prescription. And as she's moving the little lenses, she says, is this one better or is this one better? And I'm like, oh, that one I guess, but it, everything looks foggy to me. And she's like, okay. So she switches the lenses again and she's like, is this one better or is this one better? I'm like, it's still kind of cloudy. I, I still can't see. And she's like, are you breathing into the lens? So she starts cleaning the lens, you know? And I'm like, okay. And then she's like, how about now? And I'm like, I, I still can't see. And so she takes a light and she puts it in my eye. And she sees that there is a dry skin over the lens of my eye. Mm. And that's why everything looked foggy. Wow. Also, I need glasses, but that's why everything looked foggy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she gave me a prescription for dry eyes and a, and a prescription for lenses, which, which came in and they were the wrong... I still couldn't see. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> but internally, there's this war that we wrestle with to see rightly. It's this war inside of us on how we view things. If you're a born-again believer and your desire and aim is to follow Jesus and to please him with your life, you're thinking, I'm not who I used to be, but man, I'm not where I want to be. Yeah. If, you if you're like me, you beat yourself up every time you fail or if you react wrongly in a situation. Maybe you find yourself saying, why did I say that? And, and then you kind of like, you know when you have a hangover in the morning, you're like, why was I talking so much? Like, man, you know? And then the Bible says that in many words, sin isn't lacking, it's there. It's, it's there in us. Or, or maybe there's some habits that you can't break or the insecurities that rise up within you. And, and that's my Achilles heel is my insecurity, and the enemy knows exactly where to get me. And every time I get tripped up, I'm like, ah, I already know this, like, why do I keep falling here? And the insecurity for me is, is I didn't finish college. And so the enemy always tells me, you're dumb. When I was young, th those were the words that were spoken over my life. You're dumb, Inesia, which means like ignorant. And, and those things, I, I fought my whole life trying to push those things to the side. And then comparison, right? Mm -hmm. 
maybe you're like, man, I didn't even know I struggled with that. Yeah. And the sister like Sophia comes up, start bringing fire from the pulpit, <laughs> and I'm like, I have to come up after her, and, and she's like away from her nose. How does she do that? <laughs> I love her. She's amazing. Firehouse, right? And I'm stuck to my notes. And I can't see them because I'm blind. <laughs> Come on, girl. Keep going. And comparison is the segue to envy and jealousy. All these things creep up, and maybe you think, I should be past this already. Like, come on, grow up. What's wrong with me? And you're like, where did that come from? Well, the Bible's clear. It says it comes from your flesh. There's this war in your members. Jealousy, when that sister's like, God has been so good, he paid off all my bills. <laughs> Must be nice. Must be nice. I'm happy for you, girl. I'm happy. Why you don't do that for me, God? How about pride? Sneaks up on you. Yep. That's the thing about pride. It's deceptive. You don't even know it's there. You're deceived. And then you, you start looking down. And what we do is we, pile, we compile our own dirt. And we stand on it. And we look down at people. You got your own dirt. And we start to compare. How about fits of anger, lust, anxiety, fear, discouragement. My discouragement. And I was just talking to our sisters in our small group, which was just such a great time. I told them they could come up here and preach because they were like, Ministering to me. I, I love my, my excuses. My excuses used to be, God, I look too young, and I'm too young to be used. And then when I turn 40, I'm like, I'm too old, God. I'm too old. Come on. We find ourselves doing an internal inventory of our actions, our character, and we don't meet up to par. When we look at ourselves from our own lens, we see failure, we see hypocrisy, we see brokenness, we see the fact that we're unfinished. And perhaps you think, how can God possibly love me, yet, yet, yet alone you, someone like me? My poem, feeling more like a spectator as the painter paints. I wait to see if the finished piece can cover galleries or people step back and see the many flaws and mistakes and think what a mess I've made. The enemy of our soul, Satan, he loves to highlight our failures. He loves to make them a focal point. Also, when we view our brothers and sisters in the Lord from our own lens, we start to compare them. We start to look down at them, and we can't even see how far God has brought them. All we see is like, that sister's a hypocrite. But man, God has done a work in her. The word um, in the Bible, Jesus, when he told um, when he was speaking about the speck in the plank, he says, you see the plank in your brother, you see the speck in your brother's eye, but there's a plank in your eye. And that word look, in that verse, it means to see with human eye. He was addressing hypocrisy, but he was addressing sight. He was addressing our lens. And when Jesus healed the blind man, he gave him sight. He healed his sight. Just like that film over my eyes that was causing fogginess, we all have a broken and obscured way that we look at things. Mm -hmm. Because we're looking through a broken and obscured lens. Mm -hmm. So we have to stop looking at ourselves, and we need to change our focus. Jesus said um, that he's light. And I need, you know, when you're 40, you need light to see. I see my sister with that, with that little lamp, and I'm like, I need it too. Because yeah. light helps you see. Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy said last week, I love what he said on Sunday. He said, we spend so much time looking internally at ourselves instead of to Jesus. For every time you look at yourself, you need to look ten times to Jesus. We need to see ourselves from new lenses because our lens is broken. My prayers at this workshop will give you some vision and some clarity to see rightly. Do you know how to change your sight? Change what you're looking at. Mm. Hebrews 12, 2, my sister alluded to this verse. 
It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Shift your focus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the beginner, and the perfecter of your faith. We often look externally, but then instead of looking upward, we look to the side. And we look at our sister who's running the race next to us. And you know what that causes? Comparison, critical spirit. Or we look at the person behind us. And we're like, critical spirit too. And then it causes pride to come up. You know, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as her. And we become judgmental. And we think we're better than others. Or we fall to the trap of looking ahead of us. The woman who's been on this journey a long time that you look up to, that, that she, she looks like she got it all together, but trust me, she don't. And you're like, I'll never be like her. I'll never catch up to her. And we fall into those three traps mm -hmm. because our focus needs to be upward, not around us and not internally. There is a freedom in accepting who God called you to be and your place in this race. That's good. God's pace for you is different than your sister next to you. Instead, we need to shift our eyes upward and focus on Jesus. We also find clarity in the scriptures. We have a cataract of the eyes and we are blinded by the images around us and the failures inside of us. May the scales come, up our, come off of our eyes this weekend through God's word that his Holy Spirit would unveil our eyes to see. Yes to see clearly. If you don't know Christ today, my prayer is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he loves you, that he died for you, and that he rose again to give you new life, that he would open up your eyes. You know what the Bible says about those who are not in Christ? He says the enemy has blinded their eyes. Yeah. Sight. I pray that God would take off the blinders and that you would see Jesus with clarity, that he loves you and you need him. Let's take a look really quickly through Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. I'm going to read it. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For our grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one would boast and then verse 10 you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand yes. that we should walk in them. This idea that you're his workmanship, his masterpiece, an, an art piece on display, created to do good works. I mean, that sounds good, right? That, that's an amazing thought. But let me take you quickly to the process that gets us there. The first step in that process occurs to happen the moment you come to surrender your life to Jesus. Verse 4 and 5, and then we're going to jump to 8. But God being, what? Rich in mercy, because of his, what? Great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then verse 8, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The first part of this process is called salvation. You were saved from the penalty of sin. And that penalty, the Bible says, is separation from God. It's death. All people have sinned. You, you agree with me? Yes. All yes. people have sinned. Yes. And the penalty for our sin is death. Yes. Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. How many of you guys agree with me with that? Yes. Do you know that's not enough for salvation? The Bible says there's this invitation from God, an individual invitation from God. And our jobs is to respond by faith and repentance. Faith saying, I believe God. I believe you did that for me. And repentance, I turn from my life and I want to follow you. That's salvation. 
some cool things, ladies, happen when you get saved. I want, I want to go through them with you. This yeah. is huge. When I was going through this and I was studying this, I'm like, God is so amazing. He gives us no excuse not to do what he's called us to do. Come on, say that. He gives us no excuse. No excuse, right? And when salvation happens, something else happens simultaneously, okay? It's called, I'm going to teach you a big word, ready? Regeneration. Regeneration occurs. And that is the act of God which he imparts new spiritual life in us. It basically means you're born again. You get a new life. You know when people say, what does that mean, born again Christian? That means you get a new life, you've been regenerated. He gives us new life because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and a new nature. We're no longer the person we used to be. His motivation, ladies, was love. He loves you so much. He loves me so much that he saw you in your wretched state, dead. He saw Limari 20 years ago, a broken, messed up girl in the pew of a small church. And I came with a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage. I had brokenness, came from a fatherless home, abandonment, rejection. I looked for love in all the wrong places, which led me to promiscuity, which led me to abortion tables, which led me to the very place where I was, sitting in a pew, messed up, dead. I was a walking corpse. But with great love, he came after me. And he gave me a new life and he made me alive. He made you alive. If you're in Christ, you were dead. How? By dying for us and setting us free from the law of sin and death. Ladies, I, wanna, I want you to look yourself today through this lens, okay? Look at yourself through this lens and get this understanding. This instantaneous event that occurs at salvation, you were dead and then he made you alive. When someone is resurrected from the dead, what's that called? That's a miracle, right? Yeah. You're not a mess, ladies. You're a miracle. Yeah. You're not a mess. You're a yeah. miracle. Yes. You are a miracle. You are dead. And then the next thing that happens, salvation, regeneration, the next thing is called justification. It's a legal term. Anybody here ever studied law? Anybody work within law? No? I do. I do. I work with lots of lawyers, lots of law jargon. This is a law term. It's a legal term. Under God's law, we are guilty. And the penalty of our guilt was death. Justification is when God declares our sins completely forgiven. And then, here's what happens. He takes his account that's full with a lot of money, and he puts it in our account. Ladies, we were broke like a joke. But in Christ, we're rich. I heard the acronym GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. G-R-A-C-E, that's right. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Think about it this way. You were guilty, and you owed a very large sum to get out of your punishment, and you didn't have the money. In fact, you were in the negative. Not only did Jesus pay the sum with his life, he then in turn puts money in your account. You were poor and you're bankrupt. You were bankrupt. And Christ gave you riches at his expense. That's justification. Those two things happen immediately when you become saved. That's a big deal, ladies. That made me excited. Look at yourself through this lens. You and I are rich with grace, love, and mercy. Justification, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He don't see you. If you are in Christ and you've accepted Jesus Christ, he does not see you anymore. He sees the finished work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. You're a new creation. You're not a mistake. You're a miracle. Don't let your mistakes define you. Don't let your past define you. Don't even let your present state and your failures define you. If you are in Christ, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. That's what it is to be a child of God, adopted into the family of Christ. 
And God doesn't measure us by our failings. He doesn't even measure us by our successes so that no man can boast. And they can say, I, I, I did this transformation in my own life. I take credit. No man can boast because God did it all. Jesus did it all. Jesus is the one who did the work. I recently read a, a post by a young lady that used to be one of our youth a long time ago. And it made me sad. To her, it may have been empowering, but she's, she's you know, lost right now. And she said this, everything I have right now, I made for myself. The person I am today is my own complete doing. I owe credit to no one but myself. Everything I do is about me, and everything I do is for me. I might make, I'm gonna make the most of my selfish attitude. This is what she wrote. And people on her, on her feet like, yeah, go, you go girl, you do you. You do you, you do you. And I'm like, my heart just aches for this girl, so blinded, so blinded. Pride creeps in and says, I did this. I am the master of my life. I am my own God. My life is all about me. I'm making myself in my own image. That's not self-motivation, ladies. That's called sin. That's called sin. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Who can boast, ladies? No one. Who can boast? No one. No one can boast, because Jesus did it all. You are in right standing with God because of Christ and what he did. He gives you right standing personally, positionally, and the next thing that he does, he takes you on a process, and that process is called sanctification, right, sister? <laughs> we were talking about this. <laughs> Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, everything else in the process I described is instantaneous. You get saved instantaneously. You become this new creation. You get regenerated. You get justified. But sanctification? Sanctification is a, is a process. It's a progression. And it doesn't stop until we are with Christ. It's a lifelong progression. It's a slow process and it continues throughout our earthly life. I love what John Piper says, he says, he's replacing our old, hard, unresponsive heart with a soft, responsive heart that treasures God above all things and is being formed, and he's shaping us into the kind of people who love to do the will of God. When I first came to Christ, the first thing I realized changed was my heart. I was so angry, ladies. I was mad at people in the street that I didn't even know. I was stank-faced. I was stank-faced. I was like, hmm. And everyone was like, bleep, 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 bleep. How do you know you? I'm like, you know? We got beef? No, I don't even know you. You know, I was just angry. I was angry. But the first thing God did was he gave me a heart for people. He like transformed my heart. And, and there was just like so much. I wanted to love him. I wanted to serve him. I wanted to do whatever. Like, God, you want me to clean toilets? I'll clean toilets, God. Like, I just want to serve you. I desired to give God everything. I pleased him. I wanted to please him and do whatever he asked me to do. When we come to Christ, we acknowledge that we're sinners and then we repent. We turn from our old ways. We break free from the ruling power of sin. Jesus is being formed in you. But the beautiful thing is when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to take residency inside of you. The book of, I think it's in Colossians 1.27 says, this is the mystery that Christ lives in you. He takes residency in you. You know what? All these things that Sophia is saying, let's go, let's go. And some of you are like, that's intimidating. I don't know if I can do that. You can't. But he can do it in, in you and through you. He can do it in you and through you because he, li he lives in you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's funny, I, I was watching a message on YouTube and there was this pastor, he's like, God comes and he cleans you and he pours the water and he like literally a whole bunch of water. I'm like, don't try me, nah, I ain't gonna do that. Anymore. 
when Sophia's like, you gotta go running, take off the lip gloss. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna start fighting with my lip gloss. Can I take my lip gloss with me? I'm a, I'm a girly girl. The Bible says that he goes with you. He gives you new desires. And your old habits, those things will pop up again because you are still in the flesh. Yeah. You're still here in this world. I'm like all wet, but kind of feels good, I'm hot. <laughs> My poem says the, the paint's still wet. <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> You like to be embarrassed for something? <laughs> the paint still wet, every fiber and grain swept with strokes, still drying like oil stains, still bleeding like water paints. This art of changing motion and emotion, the complexity that is me with every broke stroke, he's making us more into the image of Christ. But we're still drying, we're still bleeding, mm -hmm. but we're still being made and conformed into the image of Christ. Amen. You're in the process and it's gonna keep on going. God is forming us into his image. However, before you're like, great, I don't need to change that. He's, he's patient with me, right? He's patient with me. There's a reason for a stripping off of those things. There's a work to do. There's a work to do, and you can't take those things with you. Uh, I heard it said this way, you can't enter your promised land with idols in your hands. You can't enter your promised land with idols in your hands. There's some things that God got to rip off of us. He's stripping those things off for a reason, to make us more like Jesus. He's stripping those things off so that a watching world can see that you're brilliant and, and, and shining for Jesus. He's making us more and more beautiful with every brushstroke. We have been learning in the life of Esther. Sophia has been doing such an amazing job. We gave her a very hard task to take 11. I couldn't even hardly do these verses. <laughs> and I'm like, hi, Sophia. She's doing a great job going through the life of Esther. And she gave us a glimpse into the, the life of this queen. And Esther's beautification process, you touched on it. I just want to go through it real quick. In chapter 2, it took 12 months. When Queen Vasti was thrown out of the palace, and they needed a new queen, the king's homeboys, they're like, let's have a beauty pageant. I bet you they like that, yeah. And let's have a swimsuit edition. <laughs> we're, just trying to pick, we're just trying to pick the new queen. This ultimate beauty pageant, and it wasn't Miss USA, it was Miss Persia. And they took all the most beautifulest women from all around the land. I want to talk about comparison. Can you imagine being those ladies? I love that her name means star because God highlighted her. Like he, he brought her up. And I love what you said. If you have a place, if somebody's sitting in your seat, they have to go. You will get the favor of God if it's part of your destiny. The beautification process is called sanctification. And Esther went through this 12-month treatment, and it was split into two. Six months were for purifying Esther and the remainder of the women. They, they said that the oil of myrrh was commonly used as an antiseptic, an antifungal, and a deodorant. I feel like I need some deodorant right now. Therefore, the first six months of her preparation were cleansing, healing, and purifying. Once they were certain she was free of disease, come on, ooh, they spent the next six months maximizing her beauty. So the idea that's conveyed in these two things is that Esther had to go through a purification process to make her beautiful. Purification precedes beautification. Purification precedes beautification. See, God does something inside of us before it starts to show on the eyes outside of us. God does something in us and then outside of us. But here's what we try to do, ladies. We try to fix ourselves. If I can just read 20 verses a day, I'll be like my sister. If I, if I can just change the way I dress, you know, if I can just 
try and try and strive and strive and strive. That's not sanctification. That's behavior modification. And God isn't interested in making moral people. He's not interested in making women look good from the outside. And when you come close to them, they're still a mess. God is in the process of renewing hearts and transforming lives. And you said it. He's interested in our heart. He's interested in our heart and our character. God is not in the business of behavior modification. He's patient with us in the process because he's still doing something deep inside of you. When I came to Christ, I had 21 years of wrong thinking. 21 years. I would, I would come to the Lord, I would lay down and go to sleep, and the images in my mind, I'm, like, I'm sorry, God, I don't know why I still see that. I still see those old images. And God's like, I know. I, I got a lot of more junk to get out of you. I got a lot of lies I need to get out of you. So 21 years, it's going to take me about 21 years to get it right. Just to get you to a place where you start looking beautiful. And, and sometimes he does a super work in some people. I've seen a sister come from like jacked up to two years and she's like, man, on fire. You're like, God, look, everyone's process is different. Those first six months of Esther's physical beautification process was a scourging of dead skin, peeling it away. It was the microderma abrasion of the time. And it's not exfoliating, ladies. You know, you ever exfoliate it so sweet, you're like, mm -hmm, I feel nice, and you know, my daughter loves to exfoliate. <laughs> they were peeling off skin, layers of skin. That's painful. I thought about this idea when God begins to paint us and transform us, God uses different paintbrushes to process us, okay? I mean, I'm just paraphrasing, I'm making my own analogy, but here's what he does. In the beginning, he takes some big brush strokes, right? And he starts clearing away and painting beautiful things, and you're like, man, God is doing such a mighty work in me. I'm not cursing anymore, I'm not smoking anymore, I'm not drinking anymore, I don't even want to go to the clubs, I'm not sleeping around, he's doing this beautiful work. And then he says, okay, let's go a little bit finer. He starts going to our anger, you're like, mm, that's a lot, God. He's like, okay, how about that? How about this? And then he starts to do those little details. You remember that day that you mistreated your sister? And he starts to do finer details. God doesn't care how long it takes. He, he wants to do it right. Yes. Every detail with line. You still got a lot of work. I got to work on you, sister. Yes. And he paints us with these paintbrushes, his word. He changes our mindset with his word, removing negativity, uprooting lies, and replacing it with truth. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the test for that, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. Another paintbrush he uses is suffering. And you said that. I wrote a, a blog a while ago regarding a very dark time in my life. And he purifies you through suffering. God allows it to come in because he knows that when he's done, you'll look like gold. He knows that when you're done, when he's done with you, you're going to shine. And I wrote a blog during the darkest time of my life. <laughs> Because it's one thing, I remember praying a prayer. You said it's a dangerous prayer to pray, yes. My prayer one day was, God, if you can use it, then put me through it. I'm not talking about dangerous. I feel like I was Joseph. I'm like, every trial God has brought me, from one trial to the next trial to the next trial. And I, I was like, okay, God, you can use it. But when he touched my son, I'm like, not my son, God. And I, I wrote this. And it's a snippet of my blog. It says, as a mom watching them hurt, is like putting a whip to your very soul. If truth be told, suffering is a school I never wanted to enroll my kids in. Nonetheless, my God uses suffering to perfect us and mold us to the image of his son. It's his process, yet he, we often find ourselves squirming and trying to avoid the fire. However, the path of suffering 
is the path to growth and trust. Suffering can be best described as a steroids of faith because it injects in you growth that would have taken years without the storm. God uses the breaking, the breaking, I love that, that picture, the breaking of us because he wants to remake us. He uses dark times to remind us that he's present. He uses thorny paintbrushes to make us more like him. And I always call suffering as an invitation from God to get to know him better. Because Jesus was a man deeply acquainted with grief. He was deeply acquainted. He says, I know exactly what you're going through. I went through it. And I sympathize with you. I think about the picture of analogy. When you take a picture, you take it into a dark room and you put it in chemicals. And you keep putting it in these chemicals. And then you expose it to light. And a beautiful picture comes out. God has to take us through the dark room so a beautiful picture can come out. Another paintbrush he uses is, is discipline. We have children, and if our kids are going to touch fire, you tell them no. And if they keep doing it, you discipline them because you love them. God uses discipline. Like a good father, he purifies us through discipline. Like a dry brush dragging its thorny whiskers on the surface of my skin, pain creating art refining me. He is defining me. There are so many paintbrushes that God uses. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have time to go through them. Pruning, um, discipleship, reading your word, Bible study, fellowship. God uses a lot of these things to make us into his image. For Esther, this beautification process took a year. And as I was thinking about that, a year, God can do so much in a year, ladies. He can do so much in a year. He may hide you for like 10 years and you're like, God, there's, there's nothing on the horizon. Uh, for you single ladies, they ain't a man in sight. <laughs> but I think, I think they're all married, Lord. <laughs> God can do so much in a year. Right, Ada? <laughs> Call you out. Hallelujah. He can do it. Won't he do it? For some of you, you're in a waiting season. And there's so much that's, that's happening underneath that you can't see. John Piper says, when God is doing one thing, he's doing 10,000 things. You're in the process. I love Paul's prayer to the Galatian church. When we're, when we're discipling someone, we're bringing them through the process, and you keep seeing them you know, move back and then come back, and you know, there's just this desire to see um, this person you love grow in Christ. And Paul had that type of love for the Galatian church. And he said, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish as in childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Anguish, like, oh, I want you to become more like him. And he had this great desire for the Galatian church. But Christ has a great desire that you would become more like him. There's a time for setting apart for justification and a season of beautification and Esther was being prepared. Jesus, when I thought about this, I, I had this revelation. Jesus made us beautiful, and that's how we come before the king. He gave us access to the throne. When we come before Jesus, he sees us beautiful, purified. He sees his son. We have access because he made us clean. And when we come before God, we're hidden now. Our old person is hidden. He sees Christ. Yet the process of becoming more like him in our flesh, here on earth, because we're, we're still sinners, is this, this, this journey of getting set free from sin, that it has no rain on you anymore. The power of sin and death has lost its grip on you. Yeah, you still struggle with it, but it doesn't have rain on you. It doesn't rule you because now Christ rules you. Yes. And how do you grow? How do you keep growing? Here's a couple of things. You yield your rights, you yield your life, you surrender. God, not my way, your way. I don't understand, but I'm gonna trust you. And then you obey. Remember, the spirit of God is transforming, he lives in you. You obey those moments he tells you, love your sister, pray for her, forgive your husband, for me, forgive your father. 
very early on, forgive your father. There's a reason I want you to do this. I'm making you more like, like me. Esther was made more beautiful for the king. We are made more beautiful because of the king. And even more beautiful when we come before the king. She beautified herself to go into his presence, yet God beautifies us when we go into his presence. And every time we get a glimpse of Jesus and who he is, how he loves us, what the cross did, how he feels about us, we get clarity. Our lenses become clear and we become more and more like him. And we leave his presence changed a little every time. Some of you for so long have viewed God, perhaps like your earthly father. He failed me, he wasn't proud of me, he abandoned me, maybe he even abused you. But when you get to know the heavenly father, he's nothing like your earthly father. He's kind and compassionate, he's loving and patient, he's holy. And when you get a glimpse of Jesus the son, and when you encounter the Holy Spirit, his work and his activity in you and around you, you get clarity. I love the word revelation. Revelation means it's simply a revealing of something that was hidden before. When God reveals himself to you in deeper degrees, his character, that you could trust him, his power, his love, his faithfulness, you get clarity to see God rightly. And in turn, you get clarity about what he says about you. Here's what we do, ladies. We do projection rather than receive revelation. What that means is I project what God thinks, what I think God thinks about me. If I feel that I don't like me, if I feel that I don't even love me, then that's how God feels about me. That's projection. Rather, God wants you to receive revelation, which means I love you. I died for you. You're worth it. And then we live that out. Instead of receiving revelation, clarity from God and his word, we, we do projection. Yet we think he just tolerates us. You know, I'm not very lovable. I don't think he loves me. I'm just a mess. That's projection. Instead, receive revelation. God says, that's not how it works in this. You don't get to say how I feel about you. I say how I feel about you. You don't even get to say who you are. I say who you are. In verse 10, God says this about you. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God says you are a workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Receive that revelation today and reflect that revelation and resist the lie to think otherwise. You are his workmanship. That word in the original language means poema, which means to make something, a workpiece. It denotes the result of work, which is an art or a making. It's a creation. You and I were made, created. That means there's a creator. The word poema, we get it from our, we get our English word poem, poem. It's this crafting of lines and ideas to tell a story. Our story, his story, John Piper says we are God's epic poem. Yes. He's telling a story. He's telling his story through our lives. We are his magnum opus, my sister gave me that word. Magnum opus is an artist's greatest work. Mm. Picasso had a magnum opus. Rem Rembrandt had a magnum opus. There's, who, who's the guy who drew on the, the series? <laughs> Michelangelo. Michelangelo had a magnum opus. It's the greatest work of art. We are God's greatest work of art, his magnum opus, because we were created in his image. In the New Testament, we find the word poema just twice, in, in this verse, and then in Romans 1.20. And it reads this way, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, those three words, 
the things that have been, those four words, things that have been made, four words, make up the word poema. So they are without excuse. You guys making fun of my counting? No. <laughs> <laughs> two words, two times it's used, poema. In the act of God's creation, he displays who he is so that they are without excuse. Poema, creation, poema, when he made the mountains. Look at this beautiful scenery right here. When God made that, that's a poema. You know what that says? They are without excuse. There's a creator. Look how beautiful that is. When you look at mountains, I mean, I'm blown away. I, you know, we're here in the Midwest. There's not a lot of mountains here. There's no mountains. There's hills, but there's no mountains. But when I, I went to um, Boise, Idaho, my breath was taken away when I saw the mountains. I was like, oh, man is without excuse. That screams poema, creator. The greatest artist in the universe considers you and me his masterpiece. But we're a masterpiece in the making. And though galleries are filled with his majesty, and galaxies are filled with the brilliance of his majesty, I question the motive of his strokes. Speaking as though his brush strokes tell a lie, dare I question the divine? Dare I refute the unique strokes that are the makeup of my design? Ladies, when God wrote these two poems, Creation and Us, is so that a watching world had no excuse that there was a God. You're a miracle. You're a miracle, you're a workmanship. Okay, okay, Limari, fair enough, he loves me. I can give you that, but man, he can never use me. That's a lie. That's a lie. And there are people, like my sister said, waiting on the other side of your obedience. Mm. Who? I don't know. You have a sphere of influence. Yeah. Wow. I remember when God was telling me to forgive my father after rejecting me many, many times, and he came back into my life. And my, my daughter was about three years old. She was wrapped in a towel. And I looked at her and I was like, he missed that. I don't know how I can forgive him. And he said, do it for her, because she's gonna follow behind you. She needs you to be healed. She needs you to be whole. The people you're gonna influence are even in your own home. You need to you need to get healed. Yes. Some of us will we won't we won't do it for ourselves, but now we'll do it for our kids. There's so many times when like the old things come up and I'm like, my daughter's watching me, my kids are watching me. God work in me, change me. You have a sphere of influence. There are people watching you. They're watching you because you're a miracle. Why? Verse, verse, um, the next verse says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. People are watching. People are watching. You are a mirror that reflects the immeasurable grace of God. You are a mirror that reflects the love of God. You are a miracle. That's why it's important that we give them our yes. John Piper says, that's who you are. A creature with a heart of nature designed to make much of God and display his nature, to display his power. We were made to make much of God. Do you know that? Our lives are to give him glory. So that when people see us, they don't even see us anymore. They're like, that's not even the old Sunnah. I remember her from the hood beating people. Now she's boxing the devil. <laughs> That's my sister right there. Remember those? You were created for good works. And here's what he says. Walk in them. Walk in them. And you know what I'm learning about? about obeying Jesus. I'm learning that what he brought me out of and what he's making me to be is such a great adventure. But what's more awesome is what he brought me into. What he brought me into. A life of purpose, a life of adventure, 
watching God transform the lives of people around me through my story. Being a partner in his miracles and works, there's no better life than that. I remember when God asked me to start sharing my story. Guys, I was terrified to speak in public. I, I would get, I'm gonna be real, I would get diarrhea, like I would get, I would vomit, like it was bad, bad. And I had the shakes like, you know, I still do get the shakes, but I kind of control them. And I was like, God, if you want me to speak, you gotta take away the butterflies, you gotta take away the diarrhea, I can't, you know that, we got a problem there, I can't get up there, I'm gonna, throwing up, you gotta get rid of all of that. And God's like, no. No. Will you still do it? I don't know. Will you still do it? Give me your yes. Give me your shaky yes. Give me your terrified yes. I can do something with that. Come on. You know, when I told God yes, I got on the floor of my kid's, my kid's bedroom. They were little. And I said, God, use me. Use me. I'm your girl. Do it in me. I can, I can do it with you. But man, I can't do it without you. Don't make me go up there without you. Let me tell you something. I'm a girl from the hood. And all I knew how to talk was ghetto. I dropped words like, and this. We don't need that. That's too much words, vocabulary. And God's like, I want you to speak. I got a problem with that, God. You got to fix my grammar. He's like, no. I'm like, and I'm like, okay, he's going to take me to the hood. I'm going to start talking to people in the hood. No, you know what he takes me in front of? professionals. I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, broke. I'm like, that's the power of God. God will use your shaky yes. <laughs> we are his workmanship. When God was stripping some things away, early on in our, our my, me and my husband's marriage, we had a moment where there was marital failure. We were on the verge of divorce. And when I was going through that, when I, was, when I thought I couldn't live, when I was dying like inside, because it feels like a death. God saw me right there. And what God showed me, when she said, you need to survive, you need to survive this. I was like, I survived, God. And let me tell you something. God took me to a pulpit to speak to marriages nationally. That has nothing to do with me. And you know what we do? We talk about the hope of Christ. We spoke to a couple. He was a trucker. He had been cheating on his wife. And me and my husband shared our story about how God can restore a marriage that's broken. And he came up to us broken. And he asked my husband, will you, will you meet with us? Will you meet me with me and my wife? We met them halfway in Wisconsin. And that's hard for me. I don't know these people. I'm like, they're trying to kill us. Like, without the one I'm like, you know, I get these fears that come up. But I was like, okay, God, we'll do it. So as we're sitting across the table with this big, I mean, burly trucker and his frail little wife, I'm looking at this big guy and I'm like, Jesus loves you across the table. And he's like crying. I'm like, he did everything for you to come to you. And me and my husband presented the gospel to him. He got saved. God restored their marriage, okay? Look at this. And I was like, wow, amazing. Call my husband, my husband would encourage him. Six months later, my husband's phone's blowing up. And my husband's like, who is this? And he picks up the phone and he's like, it's Toby, his name was Toby. He's like, man, he cheated, I, I think he fell again. Like my husband's thinking this because his phone's blowing up. And there's a message on his voicemail and it's his wife. And he's like, man, he, he, he messed up again. So his, my husband calls his wife, and she said, I just want to tell you that two days ago, my husband had a massive heart attack and died. Wow. And his life was transformed the last six months. Wow. And I want to thank you guys. You don't know who's on the other side of your obedience. Say that. You don't know who's on the other side of your surviving. Come on, Imari. That man would have had an eternity without God. Had I not gone through the pain that I went through, had my husband not been who he is and God transforming him, God uses our pain for a reason. He wants your shaky yes. He wants your little yes that's on the floor that says, God, I don't know how to speak. 
God, I, I don't know how to love. Maybe he's calling you to adopt a baby. Maybe he's calling you to love your neighbor, to bring food to someone who's sick that next door to you. Maybe to take care of your ailing mother. You have a purpose, you're his workmanship. And then it says, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, we individually, all of us, we have a beautiful part to play. Maria, you have a beautiful part to play in this. God has uniquely designed you with great gifts. He's designed you with great gifts. All of us are beautiful in our own way. We have something to offer. But here's the beautiful thing. We collectively are forced to be reckoned with. You know what the Bible calls that? The church. Where's my sister Esmeralda? She's going to help me with this analogy. Will you say yes? Stephanie Frizzle says in her song, sometimes my very yes is only my weakest yes. Let's start to pull this out. I want to show you a picture. You're his workmanship. You want to help her, Sonny? <laughs> oh, you're taking a video. something to offer even your mess ups right your story needs to be told stop being quiet here's the good works that God has called us to the gospel of Jesus Christ there are people who need to hear the good news and if you're still intimidated and fearful do it trembling but give them your yes together look at this collectively we are the church the body of Christ and you know what the bigger picture is? The grander plan? That the world would see a collective people walking in their gifting, saved miracles, so that Christ can be glorified. We are the church, the hands and feet of Jesus, and he's the head. And collectively, we've got a work to do. We're a workmanship. Your sister is not your enemy, she's your ally. We need each other in this. We need each other. You were called, and here's what I just want to encourage you. You know what the Bible calls you? The bride of Christ. He calls you the bride of Christ, cleansed, clean, made new. Make much of Jesus by being obedient. Make much of Jesus by giving him your yes. Make much of Jesus. We were talking in our small group, and our sisters were talking about how they feel stuck. And God gave me this word. When you feel stuck, go back to the last thing God asked you to do and do it. He'll make you start moving. When you obey him, go to the last thing he asked you to do and do it. So that's, we're his workmanship. That's my, my uh, workshop. And thank you guys. I'm over my time. But we started late. So give me some grace. Let me, let me pray for us. I like archery no <laughs> sorry is that 2 30 oh lord okay let's pray father thank you thank you for your word thank you for this time thank you for every individual lady in this place created with great works with, with things in them and the one thing you've always told me is you don't need to be a replica you need to be you i've created you with your own gifts i've created you with your own quirks those things that people think may be annoying, I love them about you, and I'm going to use them. Those things that I can't get over from my past, I'm going to use your story. I'm going to use your victory. I'm going to show people the miracle-working power of grace through you. God, may we give you your ye our yes and use us, God, mightily for good works. God, I pray you would activate my sisters in Christ to walk their calling out to tell others the good news, whatever sphere that they've been in. Use them, God, for your power and your mighty, mighty work on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Hello. Hey ladies, just as a reminder, you are um, on free time now. So uh, in the back we have a volleyball at 3.30. Uh, I posted on the, on the um, door. Gosh, I'm like, why are you jacking me up? I can't even talk. I'm like, <laughs> uh, archery at 2.30. Um, and they're going to meet you guys in the front. The guy should be there already. So. Yes. Um, yeah. Have volleyball. Fun. Volleyball's great. volleyball at 3.30. All right. Yeah, you do.